Hi, my name is Chris Daly, and you are entering the Active Cyber Zone. Here you will meet some innovative technology researchers and startups, learn about new cyber defenses, and listen to government leaders and industry movers on cybersecurity, risk management, and emerging technology topics that are relevant to today's digital world. You can find all this and more at www.activecyber.net on the web or your favorite podcast provider. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Active Cyber Zone. And this week we have Sajay Rai, CEO of Securely Yours. Uh, Sajay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Uh, good to be back again. Yeah, it's great. It's great to have you back. And this week we're going to talk a little bit about your Securely Yours consulting uh, practice. Um, I'd like to hear uh, a, a bit about that. I'm sure my customers want to learn about it too. And uh, so, I want to start off a little bit about talking about what cyber readiness is and how do you get your customers cyber ready? I, I recently wrote an article on cyber readiness at the edge, and uh, I, I came up with a definition that I think is a little bit different from your typical cyber um, space, um, because I kind of specialized on edge. Uh, and I kind of said, hey, you know, you can be secure, but you might also be unsafe. And to me, that wasn't being cyber ready. Um, same way you could have a, a very secure system, but it wasn't very usable. And to me, that isn't cyber ready. Um, that, so I was looking at that definition of cyber readiness, mainly as it applied to edge systems, autonomous systems, and things like that. Um, I think it's a little bit different, though, as we look at IT systems and what cyber readiness means there. So why don't you talk a little bit about what your customers think of or what you think of cyber readiness and uh, and what does it take to be cyber ready? And how do you how do you get your customers there? So, Sajay, why don't you give it? A, yeah, give it a thanks, uh, Chris. Yeah, from our perspective and our lens, the cyber ready is, you know, if you look at the industry sort of definition, they say you know it's being having the ability to detect or and effectively respond to computer breaches or incident response. So from our lens, it is a little bit more. Uh, I almost reference to the NIST CSF, the cybersecurity framework model, where they have the five functions of identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. So from my perspective, the way we want to have the cyber readiness for our clients is starts from the identify phase and goes all the way to respond and recover phases. The maturity of our client depends also on how they look at cyber readiness and how we help them. The lesser the mature, uh, the less maturity the client has, the more basic blocking and tackling sort of defines the uh, cyber readiness. The, if the client is at a more mature level, then the cyber readiness has a sort of different a meaning from them and uh, and because they've already taken care of the basic uh, blocking and tackling. So so at a high level, at least, that's the way we view the cyber readiness, Chris. I really like your use of the cybersecurity framework from NIST as, as kind of the baseline of how you can assess what cyber readiness is for your customers. Um, can, can you dive a little bit deeper, though, as far as, you know, hey, I, I've got a new customer 
Um, he's a financial services person or company. Um, how do you walk them into, and let's say they're base, base maturity level, they're a new startup in the financial services world. How, how do you walk them through then the process of cyber readiness and, 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 you know, each kind of like maturity level as you go up, what does it, how does it change in terms of the cyber readiness of that company? Yeah. So if they, if they, if a regulated industry type of a company, let's say a financial institution, like you mentioned, as a startup, you know, they are faced with certain regulations. So what we do it is we merge or marry the NIST CSF requirements with the regulatory requirements that the financial institution would have. You know, whether it's FFIEC or whether it's other uh, requirements they have to deal with, uh, depending on whether they're FINRA or or others. Uh, in case they're brokerage firms, we uh, we marry that together to say, okay, let's build a requirements for that organization, which they need to then uh, adhere to in order to be compliant, not only from the regulatory perspective, but also be cyber ready. But as you go past the maturity level to established financial organizations, then the 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 uh, not only they have to worry about the regulatory needs, uh, but also as they bring the newer technology into the fold, the risk levels change, and they have to be adept to make sure that they can still conform to the uh, the requirements from not the reg- not just the regulatory, but also from a NIST CSF perspective. So I think we anticipate in a more mature financial institution uh, a constant adoption of newer technology, where in a lesser um, uh, mature organization, like a startup, they're probably be just using the uh, one set of technologies to get going. So so would you say then that uh, the focus on a smaller company is really to kind of become compliant and make sure that their compliance is met versus a, a more mature, which is like, okay, I got my compliance under control. Now I want to really kind of like branch out and make sure that uh, I'm seeing all the attacks, and, 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 and is that is that how the maturity kind of? Uh, yeah, so it would be more visibility, more uh, mature tools you would use, which you know may not be of as much value to a lesser mature company, and it doesn't have to be financial industry. It can be energy sector. It can be uh, you know national grid for the uh, for for a country. So it can be almost anything which is a regulated industry. It can be HIPAA. It can be credit card industry, so all of that. I think the the, the message is that the cybersecurity definition or cyber-ready definition varies from our lens depending on what industry the client is and also how mature the client is. So right now, I think there's a lot of focus on phishing attacks and ransomware attacks. How do you get your customers to be cyber-ready for those threats? So, you know, that comes back to the same thing. You know, like majority of our mature organizations have the NIST CSF, at least the first uh, identify and protect uh, functions down. But I'm telling you still, we see a lot of organizations where they don't even know where their assets are. So how are they going to protect it, right? And how are they going to make sure that they are not ransomware attacked? So the, so the process still has to be basic blocking and tackling of identifying your assets through the identify function, making sure you have the appropriate controls defined. And here I would say, even though the protect function is there, 
a lot of the organizations still don't have that layered defense for their uh, key systems and key applications. Uh, a simple example is uh, when we do the, the simulations to get the organizations ready for ransomware attacks and others, uh, most organizations still don't do the basic blocking and tackling of backups right. You know, whether you're air gapping appropriately the backups, can the perpetrator still access the backups in the same network where, where they have penetrated, those type of things. Uh, but in a mature organization where they have done some other things, we still want to make sure that they have the appropriate mature processes in terms of asset inventory, in terms of layered defense, in, in terms of different types of controls. You know, we don't want all protect or detect controls, but we want maybe some manual, some automated controls sort of woven into their uh, cyber readiness architecture so that even if there is like a solar wind type of a vulnerability identified, they still have other layers of protection uh, to defend their net and uh, critical systems. It seems also to me that, um, you, you know, your weakest link often is your people, um, you know, clicking on the, the bad emails and stuff like that. And and I, I've been seeing that, you know, these phishing emails are really getting very sophisticated. Uh, it's, you know, been uh, noted that uh, the attackers are really applying, you know, artificial intelligence and, and things like that to their targeted attacks to really make them look legitimate types of emails. So when you're thinking about the personnel and, and, and ransomware and phishing attacks, do you guys do anything special to help train your customers about how to do that identify function, how to how to um, how to mitigate uh, some of the people that you know do the bad things? That yeah, I mean, again, here we you know we help our clients uh, make sure that their awareness training program is effective uh, and make sure that they conduct simulation exercises. Uh, and more and more, we are starting to see. Uh, better results, but I don't like the idea when I go to a client and they say, oh, our phishing rate was only 20%, which is less than the 33% average of uh, industry. And I said 1% is one too many, right? Yep. So we, we don't want, but uh, we don't want anybody to be clicking on any of these simulation when we do the phishing or ransomware attack. But but the sad part is humans are still the number one weakness we have in this whole plethora of uh, tools we have deployed for cyber readiness. And, and and I think we'll continue to work on it as much as possible to make sure that people don't stay as number one weakness. <laughs> but currently, unfortunately, Chris, that is the case. And we need we spend a lot of time and energy preparing our clients to make sure that they are ready for these type of attacks, um, and they can—they're getting better, but they're not fully there yet. Now, as as you know, you know some of these attacks can have you know potentially catastrophic uh, effects beyond the enterprise that you know is being attacked, um, like the Colonial Pipeline ransomware, where that affected lots of customers of theirs. Right. And and, and so um, when you think about cyber readiness. Um, do you believe there should be a, a national scheme or national standard 
uh, to, for, measure, for, for measuring cyber readiness uh, across maybe different types of industries or things like that? Um, what, what, what's your view on, on, on that? I mean, the cyber readiness, a lot of uh, private and federal government are working on, you know, building that cyber readiness index, if you want to call it at that. Uh, I think these CISA has come with, out with their um, starter kit. There are a few other private organizations where they have cyber readiness indexes out there. Uh, I don't know how much adoption is there yet. We are sort of in the infancy stages uh, of that. But as more and more organizations read it, see it, start to use it, uh, I think DHS has, has done a good job of making these starter kits available with some tools built into it to, to help organizations see that readiness index. But there has to be some standardization, just like we have with the NIST-CSF and the NIST-853, uh, so that we can have some level of dependency. We can say that if somebody says, hey, uh, we have a readiness index of X, that that X has some valid um, uh, understanding between the industries to say, okay, we understand what that readiness index is, which I don't think we're fully there yet, but we're, uh, but the industry is work, working towards it. And I think we'll get there within the next year or two. Yeah, I was thinking that, you know, a cyber readiness index, like, you, like you're alluding to, would be helpful also to insurance ratings for cyber insurance. Sure. Yeah. So, so I would see that the insurance agencies or companies would be a big uh, push you know, be pushing for that type of, uh, of thing as well. Um, Definitely. And and we have had these type of uh, sort of from an insurance perspective, uh, you know, tests and and uh, questionnaires before. So I, I'm, I'm sure that the industry would love a standardized uh, readiness index, uh, which they can rely on. Mm -hmm. So um, identity is a big picture right now for things like zero trust. You know, you have to have a really good, um, you know, understanding of what your uh, identity processes are and, and how do you match up identity to access and stuff like that. Um, how do you feel like identity fits into your cyber readiness posture? Well, I mean, uh, if you look at it from the, again, NIST-CSF framework, the identity is a big part of the identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. Uh, the identity access management, if, if from my perspective, is probably the second, if not the first, uh, topic within cybersecurity, which most organizations spend quite a bit of time on, making sure that their architecture is right, whether their roles are defined properly, whether they have segregation of duty rules are defined, and also have the appropriate provisioning mechanisms and deprovisioning mechanisms to ensure that the uh, the identities can be trusted if they are uh, uh, defined within their environment and not just within their environment, within their extended enterprise, which would include their partners, their joint ventures, their contractors, their consultants, uh, and business partners as well. Yeah, you, you bring a good point up too. And you know, how, how does uh, supply chain fit into cyber readiness? I guess- yeah. You can't really be cyber ready if you don't know where your software or other things like that or, or equipment are coming from. So, um, what what is your view on how to help your customers, you know, assist them with uh, their supply chain readiness, so to speak? Yeah, I think I think most of our customer, if they are not federal government, I mean, we don't have as much 
delving deeper into, you know, like if I'm buying a laptop, do I need to worry about, you know, all the components within the laptop as to where they were made? Do we have a proof of all of that? I don't think we go into as much detail as maybe some other uh, three-letter agencies within the federal government may go through. Uh, but from our perspective, there there is supply chain issues from their vendor and extended enterprise perspective, which alone is a big topic uh, for the most organizations to tackle. Even the, the the supplier management, you know, they mature organizations have a decent uh, handle on it, but even they sometimes uh, just do it to check the box rather than truly understand where their extended enterprise risks are. And I think, uh, Chris, during the COVID, uh, that became very, very um, obvious that the companies had not thought through it because a simple thing like, you know, if they relied on company A to pro provide them resources or to perform certain work, now that company A had issues with their resources and they couldn't satisfy, you know, this company's needs and requirements. And it became very obvious that how COVID sort of impacted not just the manufacturing supply chain issues, but just the traditional supply chain. Most organizations from an IT perspective rely on it. That sort of fell apart during the COVID uh, crisis. That's a really good point. And I think, you know, as you say, supply chain definitely has to be uh, part of your measurement for cyber readiness. Um, yeah. Because you know, if you lose a portion of that, I mean, you could be very much down uh, from a, not just you know your 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 cybersecurity side of the house, but you know, but also your your overall business perspective. So yeah, and then geopolitical climate sort of plays a role in it too. We were talking to one client just recently, and they had a whole lot of reliance on programmers in uh, Ukraine, and you know, with the war going on between Ukraine and Russia, I mean. Did that impact their supply chain? Did it impact the way, you know, the work is getting done? Did, uh, are, is it secure, first of all, you know, with Russia sort of playing a role in? So all of that needs to be considered when you are thinking of your extended enterprise and making decisions whether the risk is appropriately uh, addressed or not. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you know, how many people outsource to a variety of different countries that could be, you know, in, you know, in trouble sometime. You don't know yeah. when exactly, but yeah, you're right. So that's got to be part of your risk risk management decision. So you, you were talking about identity and you were talking about, you know, the need to make sure that you uh, have a good understanding of that. But how does it differ or if it does for machine identity? Uh, I remember when I was a SOC director, we were trying to identify certain assets that were out there and we would look at uh, different tools and each of these tools would identify that asset differently. And and so, you know, when we're trying to go out there and discover what we might actually have out there, we were looking at a broad set of tools and see what everything was and reconcile together. And it became a, a big problem in terms of that whole reconciliation because there's all these different ways that you can, you know, call a machine or, or something like that. So how, how do you feel, have, have you run across that problem before in, in your consulting engagements? And if so, you know, how does that affect you know, what you do from a cybersecurity perspective? Yeah, I think uh, if you're talking from like an IT components of what we do in terms of monitoring and uh, the OT components, it definitely has its own, uh, you know, challenges. So in a medical 
industry, for example, you know, you have a lot of these devices which are embedded in human bodies. And, you know, how do you make sure that one, that they are kept current in terms of uh, whatever operating system they are have, but also making sure that we can help monitor and secure those devices. So, so that's just one example of OT. But in manufacturing, where I am in Detroit, uh, you know, OT is a big thing and all the plant automation systems, we don't want, you know, people to be able to hack in uh, a PLS system just and change the color of the car or the way the car is made so we can have other safety related issues down the road. So, so it does play a key role. And I think that's what the, the technology leaders within the companies and also in the industry have to think about as to not just the the benefits of some of these uh, devices, but also is there enough built into it uh, to be able to um, to help us identify properly and monitor it properly. Mm-hmm. There are standards out there where they say that, okay, if you're building these OT devices, these are the basic things you should have in place within those devices, but not, I, I don't think all of them are following that. So that's one. And two, I worry about is if it is running a, some obsolete operating system and there is no way uh, for us to apply patches and upgrade it, then that creates a vulnerability as well within these systems. Yep, okay, absolutely. So so we kind of walked through quite a bit of things so far on cyber readiness. So, um, so Sajay, uh, to conclude our, our talk today, tell me a little bit about uh, what you think are the, the, the basics for, for becoming cyber ready for companies and what they should really pay attention to. Yeah, I, I really think they need to adopt and think about all the the things they need to do from a CSF perspective. An example would be it is, uh, you know, when we monitor a company's assets, they don't know 90, they may only know 95% of the asset, the other four or 5% they don't. Or when they have a cloud environment where they add a, server because they wanted to do something and not the appropriate monitoring uh, agents are put on it. Uh, You know, the perpetrator can come in through that asset into the network and we may not even know uh, through our monitoring tools. Uh, So those simple things like making sure the backups are still getting done so that in case there is a ransomware attack, you can recover from the backups. We don't want happening that, you know, you think the backups are running uh, but, you know, six, for six months, the backups didn't run and you didn't know about it. So those are the basic, simple things, first of all, you need to do. But once you have overcome that, then you can go into the more mature monitoring and, and securing things like your OTs and uh, edge systems, like you mentioned in your article. Okay. Well, thank you, Sajay. This has been, I think, very informative for our customers and your, my customers and your customers. So I look forward to our next chat next week. Um, well, you'll hear a little bit more about Securely Yours and Securely Managed. All right. So yeah. thank you. Thanks again for, for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me, Chris. Uh, great talking to you. You too. Thanks. Thanks.